an opportunity we have to hear God's word this morning. We are concluding our series in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, today, looking at the last few verses of chapter 12. This is our 22nd sermon that we've preached uh, from Ecclesiastes, and it's been a good book to remind us of the world that we live in, to give us a true vision for this world, to recognize our own tendency to seek in the world what only can come from the Lord, and to endeavor to seek after His wisdom more and more. I'm going to read verses 9 through 14. They're printed, and it should... uh, should go to 14, but that's a little typo. I'll read that part, uh, the last verse. But if in the bulletin you're following along, you'll see it's got 9 through 13 listed. But we're going to complete this book, I promise. Hear God's word from Ecclesiastes. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. What a great blessing that is in a world that is constantly shifting and changing We don't always feel as if we do have that firm foundation. Lord, remind us that you are the rock on which we stand. And you've given us the foundation of your word. And by your spirit, you are leading us in your truth and your will and your ways. So, Father, as we come this morning, we pray that you would help us to hear, to receive. And not only to be hearers, but also doers of your word as you lead us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I haven't done this in a while, but I hadn't planned this, but let me have the children come forward. Any of our children want to come forward and sit up here? I have a question for you. Ava, come on. Thank you. Makes me feel special. All right, here's the question. Do you think God has a favorite animal? No, yeah, he created them all, so I don't know. Maybe... Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I was thinking maybe the eagle. The Bible mentions the eagle. I like to read from Isaiah chapter 40. Sometimes when I go to visit people in the hospital, it says he gives power, that is God, to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall fall, shall faint and be weary and young men shall be exhausted. Here's the part that I like. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. With wings like eagles. That sounds fun. Yeah? No? No? Okay. Some, okay. Sounds fun to me. Uh, maybe not the eagle, which is mentioned about 20 times in the Bible. How about the lion? Ooh, yeah. The lion's, right? 
If you've ever heard a lion roar in person, they get your attention. And in Genesis 49, we have what's called a prophetic blessing. That Judah is a lion's cub from the, from the prey, my son, you've gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion as, and as a lioness who dares rouse him. And then in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the promised one who's come. But not all lions are good. Right? The Bible mentions that the devil prowls and lurks like a lion. What about the snake? Nah, never mind. You know what? I think if God had a favorite animal, it would be the sheep. Yeah? Because we, it says, the Bible says, are like sheep. It's a frequent metaphor of spiritual realities. We're like sheep, and the Lord is our shepherd. And that is good news. All right, I won't preach at you the whole time. Y'all can go back to your seat. Thank you for your help. We are like sheep, and this is something that God's people would have understood in an agrarian society in particular they would have been accustomed to seeing sheep and shepherds around and maybe he doesn't have a favorite animal after all but here's my theme this morning because the lord is our shepherd he leads us in his truth and in particular i want to talk about true wisdom and true purpose and true life if the lord is our shepherd then he's leading us as his sheep as members of his flock and I want to remind you where this book nearly ends what we have here is an epilogue but before that verse 8 vanity of vanities says the preacher all is vanity that's exactly where this book began in chapter 1 verse 2 after a verse of introduction and this is certainly true apart from properly being related to the Lord if you fail to recognize that, that relationship that you have with the Creator, then you will likely experience many of the vexations of this world. You will understand futility. And even if you are rightly uh, related to the Lord, you will still experience that because we all live under the common curse. So these last verses of Ecclesiastes are sometimes referred to as the epilogue. And I recently, I think it was last year, finished a Swedish mystery series. It was written in English, translated for me, thankfully, because I don't speak or read Swedish. But I greatly anticipated the end of this series, of which I had read many books. And I wanted to know, you want to know, right? When you get to the end of a book or end of a movie, does everything turn out okay? Now, in this case, the detective solves the crimes and every and truth wins out but in this particular series in the epilogue i won't spoil it for you it ends in a kind of darkness and i was disappointed in some ways that matched the mood of the series and the truth again has a way of showing up and showing out in that book but there was this kind of darkness that remained and if we do not, do not have a shepherd to lead us, then all we are left with is a kind of groping around in the dark. You can find things, you can make your way, but your vision of this world and of the world around you will be skewed. 
you will not be able to understand all that is around you. But a shepherd will lead us in his light and give us true wisdom. We live in a world that's untethered to reality. And if you are and recognize that you are like sheep, then you admit that you need help, that you need to learn, that you need to be led. So we come to this last portion of Ecclesiastes and we hear besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So this is what Ecclesiastes has been doing for us, leading us in true wisdom. It's what the preacher, some think may have been Solomon, or it may have been a Solomon-like character, putting forth God's wisdom for us. And I love this, uh, this phrase, words of delight, and even I heard it in Jacob's words as he was praying for us. You know, as Christians, we don't have to be dour, dull people. That's not in your job description. We can delight in the world that God gives us. Uh, just the other day, and I shared it with some of, our, some of our students because I was excited about it. Ethan jumps up next to me. I was watch, looking at something. He says, look up mantis shrimp. I think, okay, never heard of mantis shrimp. Well, they're not shrimp, actually. They're some type of crustacean, but they are incredible. God has created a delightful world. Do we live in a fallen world? Do we live in a hard world? Yes, we do. But there's also many things that we can delight in. Why is that? Well, ultimately, if you look at the last phrase of verse 11, they're given to us by one shepherd. He is the source. Now, before that, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. So one commentator spells it. I don't know if you're familiar with goads. I'm not particularly. I know the word. But I've heard it. But they were employed by herd drivers in the ancient world to keep animals on a straight path. They were staffs with sharp nails embedded in them and were used to poke and prod the animal. So if the animal went to the left, you'd get poked. If the animal went to the right, you'd get poked. The animal was meant to go where the shepherd wanted them to go. And this commentator says the only way the animal could avoid pain was to go that way. To go the way the shepherd wanted it to go. You know, we don't like that, but we need it. The consequences of being a sheep without a good shepherd are far worse and the pain far more lasting. God's word, when we have our confession of sins, it might sting us. It should sting us, but it's meant to lead us to God's mercy, to lead us in God's way, to lead us in his forgiveness as we follow him. So David Gibson says, remember your creator by letting his word dispel your illusions and confronting your folly, even if it hurts. And it may often hurt left to your own devices. You will not choose what is right. Left to wonder along myself, myself, I'll end up going in the opposite direction of where I should be. There is no satellite navigation for our souls other than the words from our one shepherd. The Bible is supreme. And so we see that true wisdom is also lasting. It's a firm foundation as we sang. 
and helps us to learn to discern and assess the competing messages that are all around us. Look at verse 12. My son, beware of any of these beyond these of making many. And and you see books. And by the way, Jacob's written a book uh, and it's a wonderful book. There is no end, Jacob. But it's a wonderful book. But I think what this verse is saying is you could almost put in there of the making of many YouTube videos, of the making of many TikToks, of the making of many blog posts, of the making of many articles, and yes, books too. There's so many competing messages out in the world. Be aware of anything beyond what is true and what belongs to God. That's what we need to hear. And the more time we spend with our shepherd, the better we will know if his wisdom is present or absent from these many voices. I think that's a good warning for us to heed so that we will be led in true wisdom by our shepherd. But he's also leading us to true purpose. You could say that verse 8 Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity, is the message of Ecclesiastes. And in some ways it is. It's the thesis of this book, especially if you live apart from God. If you live for yourself, if you live without remembering your creator, if you try to live with God on your own terms, if you try to live for your own purpose, there will be a great deal of disappointment. If your purpose is rooted in the world, then you will spend a lot of time with the weeds of sin and suffering of our own doing, of our own making. Now, I think the conclusion is verse 13, the end of the matter. That's where we got the sermon series title. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, that word duty in verse 13, is supplied by most translations. It's not in the Hebrew. I think it may be implied, but there's something subtle we might miss. And there's nothing wrong with the word duty. In fact, Scripture gives us, as followers of Christ, as followers of God, there are many duties that we are to carry out. But a more literal translation is this. The end of the whole matter, let us hear. Fear God and keep His commands, for this is the whole of man. This is the whole of man. That is, we will experience a kind of wholeness that is uncommon in the world when we consciously seek the purpose, the proper purpose for which we've been called for. There are lots of questions we have, particularly as we grow up in our teens and our 20s, and we're wondering, who am I? But also, why am I here? What purpose is mine that belongs to me? And I was reading an article and it says young people in particular face constant messages about how they should achieve more. Which of course can just bring anxiety and, and difficulty. But then more generally, people who report having a sense of purpose have greater satisfaction at work, financial success, and overall life satisfaction. In this article there was lots of links to various medical studies and the rest that have been done. Purpose is linked with a stronger sense of identity, improved mental health. Having a sense of purpose is also associated with better physical health. For example, a lower risk of stroke, heart disease, and Alzheimer's disease. 
that's all very encouraging to know that a true and right purpose is good. It's good for you. It's also better to know the purpose that our shepherd is leading us to. We shouldn't only want to have a purpose, but the right purpose, a true purpose. And so we have here the end of the matter, the conclusion. It's all summed up here. Two things, fear God and keep his commandments. It's not the first time that we've been encouraged to fear God in this book. Chapter 3, verse 14, chapter 5, 6 and 7, chapter 8, 12 through 13. There were all, those were explicit mentions of fearing God. And to do so is how we remember that we are the create creature and that we have a creator. It's to maintain the distinction between creation and creator, creator. It's also to know that he is completely holy and righteous in every way while we fall far short of our original design. Charles Bridges says the fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. I appreciate that phrase, affectionate reverence. It leads us to the reality that we are in relationship to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, who has also declared himself to be our Father in heaven and our shepherd here on this world that we live in. And so we fear God and we keep his commandments. And of course, those two things are related. If you fear God, you will keep his commandments. Always be predicated on our understanding of his character. If you don't believe he exists, then you won't worry about his commandments. If you don't believe that he's holy, then you'll think, well, what does it matter anyway? If you don't believe in his goodness then you will believe the lie that Satan told to our first parents, that God is holding back from you. In fact, he wants you to be dour. He wants you to be dull. But if he is our shepherd, then we experience his command as a gracious provision of leading us to green pastures and still waters, which we will only experience in passing otherwise. We'll get a glimpse of it, but we won't be able to stay there because we'll be led by our own devices. If I see God's commandments as my true purpose, then I will experience his shepherding as a gift to receive rather than a burden to escape. But this also raises a problem. It brings me to my last point. None of us fear God and keep his commandments in the way that we should. While we find true life in a world, where will we find true life in a world of illusion, disappointment, and struggle? Well, our shepherd does lead us to true life. I was interacting with another PCA pastor earlier this week on Twitter. He said uh, last Sunday, I was not sure my sermon made a lot of sense at at points this morning. Then again, I was in in Ecclesiastes. And if you're always making perfect sense while in Ecclesiastes, you may be missing part of the point. 
I understand that. I think Jacob understands that. There, there are parts of this book that are challenging, that are uh, opaque in a way. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was struggling to just grasp the text. And so I just kept listening to it over and over again. As I drove around, I put on the audio version, and I listened to one version, and then I listened to another, I don't know, 50 or so times to let it sink in, and hopefully I'd be able to grasp it. There is a reality check, though, that is quite quite clear at the end of chapter 11 and at the end of here. Jacob preached from chapter 11. Look at verse 9 if you have your Bibles open. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. And then we hear this again. Verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I don't know how when you read that, when you hear that, does it make you respond? How do you feel? Are you comfortable, if that's true, with your relationship with God? Are you comfortable standing before God knowing that he will judge every deed? What are you banking on? Are you banking on the fact that God will might grade on a curve? Because there are certainly more evil people than hopefully us here, right? We see it on the news. We see it in the world. And so we can say, well, I'm not like that. So we're good, right? But God's saying every secret thing whether good or evil, and if I'm being honest, the secret things, there's probably more evil than good. Are you banking on some reality that God will overlook your evil, that he might give you a pass because of some mitigating circumstances? I mean, I wasn't raised in a perfect home, probably you weren't either, and so, I mean, after all, there's our reason for the way that we act, the way that we respond. How you react to hearing This verse is a good measurement of your understanding of God's character as well as where you are seeking to find true life, not just for now, but for eternity. The follower of Christ should sincerely consider whether their lives reflect a new life that God has given to us and lead us to a place of humility, confession, and repentance. But there's also more that we can live out more positively. I appreciate Max Ruglin's comments. He says the final verse, verse 14, raises again a matter of a future judgment and the Lord's knowledge of every secret thing of one's heart. While this is indeed an ominous message for those whose secret things are wicked, such a reminder need not produce anxiety for the believer. For the faithful one who fears the Lord strives after the things pleasing to God, and knows himself or herself to be in God's hands. The moment of judgment, the moment of judgment is one of vindication, not punishment. And why is that? How can you be sure of that? It's because Jesus declared himself to be the good shepherd. He declared himself to be the one shepherd that we need. He says in chapter 10 of John, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have what? Life 
and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. You hear what he's saying over and over and over again? I'm the good shepherd, and here's what that means. I'm giving my life for yours so that you may have true life. You may have real life. Because the Lord is our shepherd, Christ came to give his life for us. Either live by that gift and that sacrifice or live on your own. Neither are easy. But one will lead to everlasting life and the other leads to a life of vanity and standing before the judgment throne of God on our own. Scripture tells us that the one shepherd not only gives us true wisdom, but also true purpose and ultimately true life. I suppose God doesn't have any favorites. All creatures of our God and King, after all, right? They give him glory. But if God does have a favorite animal, it would seem like it would be the sheep of which I am like. But I have a shepherd who rescues me by putting himself in my place. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. But it doesn't end there, does it? And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We did not plan to read 1 Peter chapter 2 as we did in our uh, New Testament readings. In terms of where it ended, I, if you want to pull this up, as if it's on a tablet, page 4. Look again at verses 24 and 25 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'll conclude with this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Join me in prayer. Praise be to you, O God. That we have a shepherd in you. And that you've given your son as the good shepherd. To lay down his life so that we might be healed. So that we might be led to a real life. That we can experience now and forever. We thank you also that we're being led in a, a new and true purpose. And we're given true wisdom. Lord, you know we struggle. And we thank you that we have a shepherd who loves us, who's rescued us, redeemed us, 
who's watching over us now. Father, thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. Lord, thank you for the sermons that we've been able to preach from this book. And we pray that you continue to use all of your word, both from this book and wherever it is in the scriptures that you give to us. Would you lead us and guide us as our shepherd? Father, we praise you and we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.